If you'd like to follow along our reading this morning, you can turn to page 950 in the Bible that you'll find either in the chair or the pew. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This has rightly been called the resurrection chapter. All 58 verses are about that one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can certainly, if you want to learn about the resurrection, this would be the first place to go. The word gospel... For those of you who are visiting, means good news, and you'll hear that word in this reading. Begin reading chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, give us grace that we will not only understand your word, but Lord, that we will embrace it in our hearts, in our lives, and that we will live it out, Lord, from this time forth. Lord, we must have your spirit to do this. We ask for your spirit in abundance in Christ Jesus. Amen. The morning of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, everyone on the island had seen so many simulated combat exercises throughout that year that most people thought it was just another drill. A 12-year-old Dan Kong, for instance, said to his brother, he's still in his pajamas, wow, spectacular maneuvers, and they climbed the avocado tree in the yard so they could get a better look at the show. A sailor at Pearl Harbor said, best blankety drill the Army Air Force has ever put on. Even the mayor of Honolulu thought that the smoke over Pearl Harbor was a practice smokescreen. I thought that it was a perfect demonstration, he said later. These things were said, why are those planes flying so low? Why are our boys shooting at that plane? A bomb drops. What a stupid, careless pilot not to have secured his releasing gear. It explodes. They've loaded live bombs by mistake. (laughs) Even when they saw the Japanese rising sun insignia on the underside of the wings, whoa, they're going all out. They've even painted a rising sun on the plane. So in those first minutes, they totally misread that it was a Japanese attack. They read it as just another military exercise. We may misread the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may believe that he died on a cross because people die every day, but to believe that he was raised from the dead... You have to believe that a great miracle happened. But if you think it ends there with just whether or not you believe that this miracle of the resurrection happened, you still misread the resurrection completely. Yeah, the resurrection is presented in God's word as this great miracle of God, but This miracle is announced to us as good news to you and to me. The resurrection is a great accomplishment for us. It is a great rescue for us. To believe in the resurrection is to believe in the great promise of the resurrection. Or as I've entitled it, the treasure of the resurrection. And so here's a question for you. Do you believe in the great treasure that the resurrection offers to you? 
And have you embraced this treasure for yourself? That's to believe in the resurrection. Not just that it happened, but to believe in the great treasure that it offers and to receive that yourself. Now, in this passage, there are many aspects of the resurrection that we could deal with. But in this passage, it is God's forgiveness and favor that is the great treasure of the resurrection. In the movie based on the book BFG, the big friendly giant teaches Sophie about dreams. He calls good dreams fizz wizards. In a jar, they're candy-colored globules of light. Nightmares, however, have this deep red glow and cancerous tentacles. He calls them truggle humpers. He said of one particularly bad truggle humper that it tells the sleeper, look what you has done. There be no forgiveness. That's the worst nightmare. Look what you has done. There be no forgiveness. But forgiveness, we read here, is found in the resurrection of Christ. In verse 17, Paul says, If Christ is not raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. That means it's empty. It's, it's worthless. And you are still in your sins. That means if he's not raised from the dead, you are not forgiven even of one of your sins. You are still guilty, you are still condemned, and you are headed for punishment for sure for every one of your sins if there's no resurrection. And that's why he says in that next verse, if Christ is not raised, those who have died in Christ have perished. It means that instead of going to be with Christ in heaven... They have, in fact, gone into eternal punishment. No resurrection, no forgiveness, no heaven. Now, perhaps this raises the question, well, what is the connection between resurrection and forgiveness? What is the connection between resurrection and forgiveness? You see, the Word of God teaches us that death is not natural to mankind. It says that the wages of our sin is death. Death is the punishment for sin. And apart from God's mercy, and here's the even more terrible aspect of that, death brings us straight into God's judgment And in eternal punishment. You see, death symbolizes the eternal judgment and death that we will experience apart from God's mercy. That's how terrible death is. It stands for, it, it symbolizes, it's the entrance into total loss forever. And so we need someone to defeat death for us. 
But in order to defeat death, he must defeat the cause of death, which is sin. Enter God the Son. The creator of the world took to himself flesh and blood. It happened when the Holy Spirit enabled a young woman named Mary to conceive even though she had not even known a man. And she gave birth to a child who was both God and a human being. This God-man, Jesus Christ, in his early 30s, though he could have summoned, as he said, a thousand angels to rescue himself and destroy all of his enemies, nonetheless, he allowed himself to be put to death by the terrible Roman punishment of crucifixion. But it wasn't just a crucifixion. God the Father so planned this death that it was the death of an innocent man in the place of guilty people. Jesus had united himself to our sin. Our sin was so identified with Jesus that the severe punishment that our sin deserved fell upon him. And he completely paid for the punishment that our sin deserved on the cross. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that he died? You just saw, if you were there, you just saw him dying on the cross. You saw the sky darken. You saw a lot of things happen. But how do you know that he really paid for sin? Why wasn't he just another common criminal? You've guessed it. The resurrection. The resurrection. <laughs> It's the resurrection that declares to us that there is forgiveness in Christ. You see, if death is punishment for sin, and if death represents our judgment, when Jesus is released from that judgment in the resurrection, then the debt for our sin has been fully paid. It's over. It's done. Here's a man who was under condemnation and he paid for that debt and he was actually released from the judgment of death. The first human being ever released from the judgment of death. And here's the wonderful thing. Now there can be no more condemnation for Christ. I think we can see that. How could there be condemnation for him? He's paid for that condemnation. But for us who trust in Christ and are joined to Christ, we're taken out of condemnation as well, just as much as Christ is. In the same way Christ is delivered and escapes from condemnation and puts condemnation away. Those who trust in Christ, their condemnation is put away. Their judgment is gone. But if he's not raised from the dead, then his death did not pay for sin. And Christ is forever condemned himself And we are forever condemned ourselves. But he is raised from the dead. 
This is what is announced to us. This treasure of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. What does it mean, though, to be forgiven? What comes in the great train of forgiveness? Let's say you're given a vast treasure of gold. Think of the room in uh, National Treasure or The Mummy or some other movie you've seen, whatever, okay? It's all gold, but there's every kind of gold object you can imagine there. Gold necklaces, earrings, bracelets, hairpins, brooches, rings, vases, jars, lamps, bookends, wall sconces, picture frames, clocks, tables, beds, chandeliers, and gold molded into every kind of shape imaginable. From seashells and starfish and dolphins and eagles and owls and peacocks and mice and cats and dogs and beetles and scorpions and butterflies and trees and flowers, gold everywhere, right? That's the way forgiveness is. It's in so many forms. It's molded in so many beautiful things that are brought into your life from now throughout eternity. It's a treasure of riches. And you will spend eternity in enjoying the treasures of this forgiveness. First, just say this, that it is complete forgiveness. The God who knows everything you've ever said or thought or done, things that nobody else knows, things that you'd be horrified if anybody else knew, things that they couldn't imagine that you could even think or you could even desire. God knows those. And those are forgiven. Complete forgiveness. All the ways you've hated God and not cared a thing about God. That's forgiven. Completely. And secondly, it's not only a complete forgiveness. It's a permanent forgiveness. It's a forgiveness over the whole of your life. It's though, it is that the, the final judgment day verdict of not guilty that we all would hope to hear in that day is now pronounced upon you ahead of time. Not guilty. There is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, Paul says. To the point that John can say, we can have boldness on the day of judgment and we can have no fear. John says, because fear has to do with punishment and our punishment is gone and we have no fear. So it's a complete forgiveness that is brought to us in the resurrection. And it is a permanent forgiveness. It means that as you carry out your lifelong struggle against sin to grow in grace, to grow in likeness to Christ, you do so as one who is actually favored as you struggle in that sin. Isn't that amazing? That you could have this this capacity to look your Wrong square in the face, no matter how deep and dark and know, even as you see it and experience it and are pained by it, you are still in God's favor 
and are sustained by that love to change and grow. That's the goodness of the resurrection. That's the glory of the resurrection. That is freedom. The whole time you're being changed by his power, you're being accepted and beloved in Christ. And in this forgiveness, you enjoy this favor and blessing of God in so many ways. When God forgives us, he begins to do us good. Good always and only good always. As the psalmist, uh, one of the psalm writers said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And in this life, that good will often be in the midst of great distress and heartache and loss and tragedy. And you might ask, well, what is the good then that he brings If it's not that everything's going to be comfortable and it's going to turn out all great in the end. Well, it does turn out all great in the end. But along the way, we go through so many difficulties. But the good that he is going to do is to mold us constantly into people that are like himself. He molds us into people that know the happiness Of giving themselves away for the good of others. He makes them into people who are more and more self-forgetful. Free of the misery of self. People who grow in kindness and patience and contentment. People who grow in hope and joy. That's the good. That he will do you relentlessly all throughout your life. Christ gives his spirit to us forgiven people. This spirit brings us a whole new life so that we can grow in our glad adoration of God. We can grow in our enjoyment of God in creation and culture. More and more we are upheld with a surging gratitude for all that we have in this life and the next. We're being put back together as those who know the presence and the favor of God throughout the day in every circumstance. At least that's what we're growing toward. What a way to live. In the wake of the resurrected life. Forgiven in the favor of God. God has his hands actively at work to mold us into his beautiful image. We become a people with a new capacity to face what is dark and broken in our own hearts. To face the ways that we've mistreated even the people closest to us. And to truly, sincerely change. That's the good that God will do to us. Because we are his forgiven people. We are people who, because we've experienced God's forgiveness, more and more are able to forgive those who wrong us. This is freedom. It's the freedom of the resurrection. 
And in this new resurrection life, we become an oasis of life and forgiveness and servanthood and adoration and joy to reach out constantly to a dark and broken world. Jesus calls us the light of the world. The forgiven, resurrected people are the light of the world. And even in death, his goodness continues. In fact, it's as though all the great things have been held at bay and finally burst upon the scene in the final day. At death, our souls are perfected and they go to be with Christ in the presence of God. Our bodies go to the grave, but only until Christ comes again. Speaks of it here. Christ is the first fruits. And then when he comes, we will be the rest of the harvest. He'll bring our souls with him and he will raise up our bodies to make them exactly like his glorious and powerful body. Now, if you happen to be here when he comes and you're in Christ, your body is changed on the spot. Marvelous transformation where Paul says he will transform this humble body into conformity with the body of his glory. You see, he was resurrected and entered that glory as a human being to bring us to that glory. The resurrection is for you. It's for me. It's so that you can have a hope beyond death so that you will live forever and ever in a new glorified body that will never be sick, that will never grow weak, that will never grow old. Yes, sir. I'm very much a senior pastor now at 65. And as this text says, his resurrection was just the very first fruits. There's a giant harvest of resurrection that will come in that last day. And we read that he will renew the whole of this creation. So some like to say our trip to heaven is a round trip. <laughs> you go there and you come back to the renewed Creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Paul says it's now groaning to be set free from its present bondage. And as we said many times, if this is creation in chains, if, cha- if creation in chains look like, looks like this, and it's pretty wonderful, what is it going to be when it breaks out of the dungeon and starts leaping and dancing like a baby deer? I want to be there. I want to be there renewed as a new human being. The new glorious and powerful body experiencing the glory of that new creation. What will we accomplish in the new creation? In perfect love and collaboration. In perfect coherence with one another. In perfect admiration of one another. In perfect honor for one another, perfect support of one another, perfect embrace in one another, of one another, perfect delight in one another. Wouldn't it be amazing to be a delight to every person you meet and to find every person a delight to you? Well, 
all that we've said makes up something of the treasure of the resurrection. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in this great promise and hope of the resurrection for this life and the next? And if not, I would ask you, what is your hope? What is your hope of facing God, of going to death and judgment without the resurrection of Christ? By God's grace, you can leave the awful troggle humper nightmare in which there be no forgiveness. And you can enter the good fizz wizard dream of the resurrection where there is complete forever forgiveness full of the favor and blessing of God that never ends. On the island of Oahu, they didn't realize it was a Japanese attack. Will you see the resurrection for what it is? And you, will you receive its blessings today? Let us pray. Oh Lord, if there, there are those who are here and have never trusted in Jesus Christ, have never seen the glory of his resurrection We pray that even now you would enable them to put their trust in Christ, to give themselves up to his care, to the care of this king who now rules all things and who one day will put away and destroy all his enemies. Oh, Lord, enable them, enable us to entrust ourselves afresh to this glorious Lord who would come and sacrifice himself, this glorious hero who would give himself away lavishly to rescue us at the greatest cost to himself and that he would now rule the world for the benefit of his people to keep promoting the good in their lives, to make them like himself. And will bring all things to this final conclusion when he comes and renews the creation and raises us up to have resurrected bodies forever. Oh Lord, enable us to trust you, to adore you, to give ourselves away to you. In your name we pray. Amen.